Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Is God such a terrible monster? Sometimes we make it sound like he just wants to destroy us. In Jeremiah 29, you can see on the screen in verse 11 through 13, it says, For I know the thoughts. Now, obviously, this is directed toward the Jews specifically, but I believe this concept is true for all of us. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me, when you search for me with all of your heart. When's the last time you search for the Lord with all of your heart? But, you know, we think he's such a terrible monster, but it says here, he knows the thoughts that he thinks toward us. It's, it's for peace and for good. Thank you for joining us on Truth in Christ. Today, Pastor Rob continues with the summary in the book of Deuteronomy that reviews how God directed the nation of Israel, but how they lost faith and saw fit to go against God's promise. No matter what situation we may find ourselves in, the best decision for us to make is to follow God's direction. Pastor Rob teaches us that God has great plans for each of us. The Bible is very clear that God always goes before us and has a wonderful future and a hope for us who are in Christ. He sees the end from the beginning and knows all. It took the nation of Israel a generation wandering in the desert to surrender to God. Let us surrender now. Here's Pastor Rob with today's study. So it sounds like a contradiction, but it really isn't. It's really just God acquiescing to their request. And you know, God is so wonderful about that. It's not his perfect will. We call it his permissive will. It's always better to obey the Lord and do the will of God right the first time, right? But sometimes, because of our lack of faith, sometimes because of our fear, we want to do it just slightly different. And God's going, okay... It's not my perfect will, but I'll, uh, I'll let you do it. I'll let you do it. And so then, you know, we have to wonder, you know, in, in Romans chapter 12, as you can see on the screen, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here it is, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is a perfect will of God. And when God gives it to us, it behooves us to act upon it immediately. And, and, and especially in the areas of morality and then the things that he tells us to do, we have to act on those things. But sometimes we get turned around and we think, well, I'll just... I'll do it kind of half-baked, or I'll do it halfway. But it's true. that Someone had said this quote. It says, The will of God will not lead you where the grace and power of God could not keep you. Whatever God is going to call you to do, he pays the bill. He gives the strength to, to, for you to go forward with it. He always does. He always pays for what he prescribes. What he tells you to do, he will always make sure you have what you need to do it. 
So he oftentimes will make concessions and permit something even though it's not his perfect will. And why? Here's why. (laughs) Psalm 103, verse 13, it says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. And here's why. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that we are knuckleheads. He knows that I'm a knucklehead. So when I'm struggling, and I'm, you remember that man who came to the Lord, he said, Lord, if you can do anything, heal my son. And the Lord says, I can do all things if you believe. And do you believe? And he goes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Remember that? Even the father was struggling with it. He goes, I believe, but my faith is so small. And, And what did God do? Did he smack him upside the head and say, you know what? It's just like you guys over here on the west side. I'm out of here. No, he didn't do that. He healed the man's son. He healed the man's son, and, and the Lord did it regardless. So he takes whatever mustard seed of faith we have, and he uses it. it, it it's, it's totally different from what the world thinks, and even different from what some people in the church think about God. They think he's just this angry man with a gavel and just can't wait to smash people. And yet, the Bible portrays him as his gracious, loving, heavenly Father. Even in the Old Testament, we see grace all over the place in the Old Testament. We see grace all over the place in the New Testament. Let's just confess it. There's grace all over this word that he's got. There's grace, grace, grace. You remember in Judges chapter 6, beginning in uh, 36 through verse 40, Gideon was preparing for battle against the Midianites and the Amalekites, and God shrank down his army, and he was struggling. He was having a hard time to believe. And so in verse 36 uh, in Judges, He says, so Gideon said to God, this is Judges 6, verse 36. He says, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he rose early in the next morning, he squeezed the fleece together and he wrung out the dew of the fleece. A bowl full of water came out of this thing. And then Gideon said, verse 39, to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me, let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the, only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew, which is the greater thing, right? Because if there's dew all the way around, but not on the fleece, that, that's something significant, right? Let it be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God said that, God uh, did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. And so you can just see how God is so willing to make concessions when, when we're struggling a little bit. So don't ever think that because you don't, you're not a, a, a pillar of the faith, none of us really are. We all struggle. And don't think that God is just going to cast you off to the side because you're struggling. He loves to take you when you're struggling and meet you there. If your heart is sincere, he will use it. If you're arrogant and cocky and disobedient and rebellious, you're going to have a problem. Right? You're going you're gonna to reap what you sow, and it's a bitter pill, isn't it, when we reap what we sow. In our rebellion, God says, oh, you've got to go through something here. Because just like David, you know, I can forgive you if you ask for forgiveness. I can forgive you, but there's consequences. If you rob a bank and God forgives you and you ask him to forgive you, he'll forgive you, but you're still going to jail. Right? You're still going to go to jail. You'll be forgiven in jail but you're still going to be in jail. Amen? So the Lord is very gracious. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 8, remember what the children of Israel did also. In 8 and 9, you can read them, those, those, those chapters. But they wanted a king. They wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted to be like the nations all around them. We want a king that can go out and pull out his sword. We wanted, we wanted uh, Aragorn and the Lord of the Rings. We wanted him to go and fight the, the forces of Mordor, right? And just pound down and then uh, stand on Mount Minas, or the Mount Minas Tirith there and, and be crowned one day, right? But God says, wait, we have this relationship. Why do you need a king? Why do you want to be like everybody else? Have I failed you? Have I hurt you in some way? You can almost hear the tenderness of like a, a father to a, a daughter or a son. What did I do wrong? I've given you everything you've needed. Why do you need that? I've led you all this way out of the, you know, why, why this now? What, where did this come from? And it comes from the heart of man. They wanted to be like everybody else. Does that ring a bell? I want to be like everybody else. But yet we want to be individuals. I want to be unique, but I want to be like everybody else. It's kind of a contradiction, isn't it? I remember that when I was going to school, when I was a teenager. Um, it was just that at that time, you know, everybody was trying to be unique, you know. And we were because we all tried different clothing, and some people came to school with red hair, some came to school with pink hair, you know, and, and you know, clothes just ratted and torn and everything like that. And everybody wanted to be different, and yet they all looked the same. <laughs> they, in their, in their try, trying to be unique they, they ended up being very similar they bought all the same stuff they listened to the same music but it's just it's natural isn't it we, we all want to belong and it's just part of it so they God allowed them to have their king he allowed them to have Saul it wasn't his perfect will it was a concession God says I could have done so much better for you guys but if you want to be like everybody else Okay, let the ball start to roll. And so he lets them, and Saul, we know, was a miserable king. But David came along. He was a great king. But he had his problems and mistakes and sin issues as well. But David had faith where Saul did not. And that's where God would say, this is a man after my own heart. So you can look at that. But in verse 23, well, my, my point in that whole thing is, is, um, you know, how things might have been different for them if they, had a, if they hadn't have chosen, desired to have Saul as their king. Well, how, how would things have been different for the nation of Israel? How, how would it have affected them today? How would things today be different if they had chosen to still let God be the ruler over them? You know, don't be afraid to step out when God has shown you something. When he's shown you something, you know, the results and the process are up to him. You have to leave it in his hands. Because if you think you know what the end product is or the end result, you're going to try everything in your humanistic endeavor, just like I would, to make it happen. But when we don't know exactly what his plan is in totality, when Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees, did God say, I want you to go to Canaan, to a specific place, to a specific mountain, and there you're going to uh, offer your son Isaac? No, he didn't mention anything about it. He said, just go, and as you're going, I'll let you know as you go. And it reminds me of that verse in Psalm 119, verse 105, where it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He shows me just enough to get me going, and as I go, the light gets a little further. You walked on a campsite or somewhere with a, with a flashlight, and you're going to the bathroom about 12.30 in the morning, and you're hoping you don't run into a bear or a raccoon, a rabid raccoon. You got your light, and you're shining it right before you. And as you go, you can see just a little bit ahead of you, unless you got one of those fancy lights like, like Scott does. 
um, you know, that you can you shine it up and just the whole, everybody, everybody's like looking up out of their tents because this bright light, you know, you know. So, but it's just enough to get us going. And then, and then God shows you a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. And pretty soon you're at your destination. You look back and you're like, wow, how did that happen? And it's like, God, and I, I see my own life like that. I look back on my life and how God got me to where I'm at today. And it wasn't in my radar screen. I'll be honest with you. I had a different plan for my life, a completely different plan. And I'm so glad that God got a hold of me. And all the while, for those 24 years, 25 years, God has been molding, shaping, rerouting, redirecting, doing this and that. And I'm here today only as a result of his guiding, his grace. I had nothing to do with it. I can't boast in it. (laughs) And everything was fearful. All, every choice, every big decision, I'm like, oh, man, I hope I don't make a mistake. Lord, I really want your will done. If you really want the Lord's will to be done, guess what? It's going to be done. If you really want his will to be done, you don't have to fret and worry about it like I did. Do you worry about that? Do you, I mean, every one of us in this room, if you're honest, you really desire for God's will to be done. I can tell you that if it's really your heart, God is capable of getting you there without you trying to work it out. Because if I knew that this is where I was going to reside, if I knew that this is the place where I was going to be, I would have tried to circumvent the process because that's just American. The distance between point A and point B is a straight line. That's what I'm going to do. And God says, well, it's not that simple. I've got to take you out here, and you're going to fall on your face there, and you're going to vomit on yourself. And then you've got to go this way. And because you're stubborn and you have problems, issues, Rob, and so I've got to bring you over here to deal with that. And then you're going to go back here, and then you're going to go back to the beginning again. And finally, you're going to brace ahead, and you're going to be right where I wanted you to be, and then all of a sudden, you're going to fall back. And then you're going to, so it's just like this, it looks like a dot-to-dot thing. I'm you know, one of those chasing the dots. And finally, he gets you to the place where he wants you to be. Isn't life kind of like that in Christ? It doesn't have to be that way, but for me it is because I'm a bonehead. And I don't always listen, <laughs> so it takes time. But he's faithful, because I really did. I wanted his will done, and I know you do too. So hang in there. Wherever you're at, just have confidence in him, not your own ability to get it done. So verse 23 says, The plan pleased me well. We're back here in Deuteronomy. The plan pleased me well, so I took 12 of your men, one from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And they also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought back word to us, saying, It is a good land that which the Lord God has given to us. Verse 26, Nevertheless, you can almost hear the, the, the key changing to a minor key. It was all really in the key of G, and everything was really bright, and all of a sudden, F-sharp minor. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Verse 27, and you complained in your tents, and you said, because the Lord hates us. Where does this come from? Because the Lord hates us. Has your, has your son or daughter ever said that to you? You just, you hate me. You won't let me do this thing. You won't let me have this thing. You hate me. Yeah, you're right. I do. can't stand you. No, you never say that. You do it because it's the right thing for them to do. It's like the, the 400-pound chocolate bar my daughter. I'm not going to give her a 400-pound chocolate bar because she's going to gnaw on it, and she's going to get sick, and then she's going to bring it into me, and I'm going to be overcome with lust, and I'm going to start gnawing on that 400-pound chocolate bar. Then I'm going to get sick. Then my wife is going to start gnawing on that 400-pound chocolate bar. 
but she won't get sick because God loves her. <laughs> no. So he says, you complained and because God hates us. He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. You know, is God such a terrible monster? Sometimes we make it sound like he just wants to destroy us. In Jeremiah 29, you can see on the screen in verse 11 through 13, it says, For I know the thoughts. Now, obviously, this is directed toward the Jews specifically, but I believe this concept is true for all of us. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when... You search for me with all of your heart. When's the last time you search for the Lord with all of your heart? But, you know, we think he's such a terrible monster, but it says here he knows the thoughts that he thinks toward us. It's, it's for peace and for good. That's, that's what a father is. My daughter, had, you know, I've had talks with her. I'm like, honey, do you realize that when I say no on certain things, it's not because I don't want to give them to you. I want to give you everything, and that's the problem. If I give you everything that you want, you're going to be a horrible, nasty person. Because all your life, you're going to get everything you want. And the first moment when you get it to be an adult and you can't have what you want, you're going to throw a temper tantrum at 22 years old in Walmart. And it's going to look really ugly. You're going to start pouting and you're going to throw yourself on the ground and start flailing and foaming at the mouth. And you're going to, be, you're going to look like one of those demoniacs that we read about in Matthew. That's really embarrassing. A 22-year-old should not be frothing at the mouth unless you're going through a seizure. Okay? So... Um, and, and having a, a fit, a, a meltdown. But God loves us. He doesn't want to destroy you. So verse 28, he says, Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Uh-oh. The sons of Anakim there. The sons of Anak, descendants of the Nephilim. These Beings that mingled themselves with the, the seed of, of men and with women, and these, they, whether they're fallen angels and mingled themselves with women and had offspring, I don't know the whole story, but whatever it is, they are a genetic nightmare. These, these people, this race of people, are huge. They're giants. They literally were giants. We see um, mention of them in the Bible. But you know what? It's, it's a discouraging thing because. There's always a little leaven. When, when, when he said here, where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged us. Those ten spies, they had the evil report. And only Jay, uh, Caleb and Joshua said, you know what? We, we, can t- we can do this. God is for us. He's with us. Let's go up now and do it. If they would have done that, they would have been successfully, wildly successful. But instead, they listened to the ten. You know, the mob is very rarely right. The mob is very rarely correct. Very rarely is the mass correct. In 1 Corinthians, verse 5, verse 6 and 7, it says, Your glorying is not good, he says to the Corinthians, Paul does. Do you not know that a little, a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out that old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. See, they were worrying, and they were not trusting in the Lord. They were worrying. And we, we worry as well. There's this article that I found on Huffington Post. I don't, I'm not, I don't condone Huffington Post, nor do I, um, 
I don't have anything good or bad to say about them, but I did find this article, and I thought it was interesting. It was the title of the article, and this was back in 2015, and it was updated in 2017, but it was by um, a, a reporter, and the title of the article was 85% of what we worry about never happens. It says, 500 years ago, Michel de Montaigne, I'm butchering this French name, he said, and this is interesting, he says, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened, right? Now there's a study that proves it, this article says. It says, the study looked into how many of our imagined calamities never materialized. In this study, subjects were asked to write down their worries over an extended period of time and then identify which of their imagined misfortunes did not actually happen. And lo and behold, it turns out that 85% of what subjects worried about never happened. And with the 15% that did happen, 79% of subjects discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected, or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. That means that 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. Think about that. Think about how often you worry, just like the children of Israel. They're sitting there at the border, and the, the spies come back, and they're like, I don't know, I don't, think, I don't think we can do it, I don't think we can do it, Bob. I don't think we can do it, right? And God's saying, well, go. I've already given you the command. That means I've gone before you. And when I'm with you, they are going to be completely defenseless. Believe me, God has a way of confusing armies. He did it in the Old Testament. We, we, we hear of records of it where all of a sudden the army is just completely confused. You see what Gideon did when he did the, the lamps with the, the things over them and, and, and the, that whole nonsense? I mean, that was a really brilliant uh, military strategy. It totally confused the other, the enemies. They were completely confused. They started killing each other. They were so confused. But we don't need to worry about worry because the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, let me read it to you, because we worry more than anybody else, I believe. And even us in this room, we struggle with worry. We're always worrying about something. Am I going to get cancer? Am I going to get this? Am I going to get that? Oh, I feel a pain in my right side. Oh, I think my appendix is going to explode. Oh, wait, it didn't explode. Oh, it's probably something else. I probably got, I probably got you know, parasites in my tubes, right? There's something going on, right? And so we worry about everything. But Jesus said, notice verse 25 of Matthew 6. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. You've heard this, but I'm going to read it to you again just to torture you. What you will eat, don't worry about what you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor, they, nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And the obvious answer is no. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither do they toil nor spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And I wonder how he said that. It's probably so gentle. You know, how you say something is just as important as, how, as what you say, right? He could have said, you know, now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Or did he say, 
Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, which will, which, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little, little? Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio or sanctuary messages in MP3 format, free of charge, from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcast. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until this same time tomorrow, this has been Truth in Christ.